Um, one of the reasons why I get logged with a lot of the uh, media ah. stuff, a lot of the computer stuff, is because I really love just the whole process of productivity and, um, well, yeah, just the whole process of productivity. In fact, I've just finished reading this book called Building a Second Brain. And I'm really into these kind of books because they just kind of give you a little bit more skill to cram in more into your life, right? The whole premise of this book is to say that basically your brain can't hold all the information that you are dealt with, and nor was it made to. So you need to develop a second brain. Now, some of you are like thinking, you're mad. <laughs> um, but this process is actually using digital media to help us develop the second brain. If you read the book, Tiago goes into the whole breakdown of what that looks like. And he says, this is how it works. Now, you've got your brain and you've got all these apps and all these um, applications that could help you in dealing with your work overload or, or your creative overload. You know, whether you're reading a book or you're making voice memos or paper doc, you've got all these different peripherals, but you can kind of follow it, funnel it into your second brain. Now, it's fascinating. Um, I think Tiago himself has his capture, well, the way he captures his workflow, he uses a program called Evernote. And so he'll filter everything into Evernote and that will be his second brain. He'll hold all the information he gets, you know, and all that. There's a YouTube channel I follow quite a lot. It's called Keep Productive. And it's a guy named Francesco who runs it. And he's amazing. He, 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 uh, he does all these... Um, kind of uh, views of different apps that come out and all that. He shared his second brain, and, and this will kind of spin your head around. It's quite complicated, right? <laughs> so he has his whole work capture flow into this whole system, whether it's emails and, and, and photos and calendars and memos, and he uses Notion and Bento, and he uses Remarkable, all these things kind of capturing everything so that you don't have to remember it all or hold it in your own brain. Now, I love this stuff, right? I really, really get into this. The whole premise around it is around this idea that we can just make it happen. If we have access to everything, if we remember everything, if we hold on to everything, we can actually make it happen. The premise comes from the fact that, do you remember you had that thought, but you've forgotten about it? or that song that you were writing in your head that just disappeared because you didn't write it down, or that appointment you forgot because you double booked with someone else. Yeah, that's me. Um, Michael Jordan said this, he said, some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. And it, it's part of our culture today. This wouldn't have been something we would have ever thought about 20 years ago. But today, it's like, we're almost rushed to cram everything we can in and we're given all these tools to make it happen. But we're far more frazzled and lost than ever before. In his book, uh, A Hidden Wholeness, um, Parker Palmer, who wrote this, I think about 13, 14 years ago, was talking about how we have crammed so much into our lives that what happens is 
we get lost. We think we are moving ahead, that we've got all this uh, resources to help us, but we're getting lost. He uses this story. He talks about farmers in the Midwest of the U.S. who have learned that you don't just work when the seasons of growing are happening. You work all year round because there's a lot of work to be done on a farm. And so they'll go out and work in the barn. They'll go out and mend their fences. They'll go up and prepare the land. They'll work with the, uh, the cattle or, or their animals. And during wintertime in particular, they could get so caught up in their work, uh, blizzards would occur usually without much notice. And the problem with blizzards are is that they, uh, you can't usually see more than two, three feet ahead of you. And there was this problem with a lot of these farmers in the Midwest where they'd be working in the barn, a blizzard would hit, and they try to get back home, but they can't find their way back home. And there are stories of farmers dying within meters of their front porch because they couldn't find it. So they came up with this ingenious way. I was going to buy some rope this week, but I'm, I didn't have my second brain working. Um, I was going to buy some rope. What they would do is they'd get rope and they'd tie it to the house and they'd run the rope to all the way to the barn and tie it there. Or they would tie a big long rope around their waist and tie the other end to the house. So that way if a blizzard hit, they could find their way home. Here's an interesting comment by Peter Scazzaro. He says, many of us have lost our way spiritually in the whiteout of the blizzard swirling around us. Blizzards begin when we say yes to too many things. Between demands from work and family, our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing that we might need a second brain. But we can't stop. And even if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we waste time and are not productive. Is that challenging? He goes on to say, we admire people who are able to accomplish so much in so little time. They are our role models. It's a challenging thought that we have actually filled our lives up so much. And it's not all bad things. I think developing a second brain is a great thing. As I get older, I tend to forget things. Well, maybe even when I was younger, I forgot things. But I find so even more so now. It's good to have some sort of system in place to help you be better productive. I'm not speaking against that. What I'm challenging us all on is, like what Peter Scazzaro says, we get so caught up in the busyness of life that we've lost our spiritual temple. We don't know where our home is anymore. And God plays a very, very small part in our lives. And for some of us, we might have even lost where that temple is anymore. You want to talk about blizzards, let's talk about uh, COVID in the last two years how that's blinded us, how we've fought for things that actually, are they really things that we should be fighting for? Have our rhythms been so messed up that we now can't, we don't have the rope. We've lost our way back. For many of us, when COVID began, we didn't have a rope. And for some of us, we're falling short lost in a blizzard. 
busyness. I don't know where I got this phrase from. I, I, again, my second brain's not fully developed. But I write quotes that I read from books down, I highlight them and then copy them into Evernote, but then I forget to write who it is from. But this is a quote that I got. Church is the anchor for living in the hurricane of demands. When done as a want to rather than a have to, it offers us a rhythm for our lives that binds us together to the living God. Church, in a sense, acts like a rope. It acts like this little anchor that we have that breaks the whole week up, forces us to get up on a beautiful Sunday morning to do sometimes something that we don't always necessarily want to do. And it brings us here. And then in that moment of worship, I don't know about you guys, but in that moment for me, and then hearing the prayers, man, that was soul filling. (laughs) Tugging like rope. I'll share with you a story. It's a famous story, you all know it, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a different spin on this. It's a story that we've used, whether you're too busy or not busy, but there's more to this story than just that. Let's go from Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. They're on their way to Jerusalem, by the way. Anyway, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They come to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Marion who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There's an assumption here from Martha that, hey, you know what she's doing is wrong. Tell her to come and give me a hand. Come and do what she should be doing. It's not a question, can you please ask her to come and help? She's assuming that he's on her side. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not taken away from her. So what's going on here? What's the story here? What is actually happening in this space? First of all, here's the first problem. Mary was behaving like a man. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. For those of you ladies, you understand this. Guys, you know what we do normally when we walk into a house at someone's place? Where's the couch? Where are the peanuts? I'm going to chill here. What do the women normally do? They go take the food in the kitchen. They get everything prepared. They don't want to leave the other lady doing their own work. But there's more to that than just this. This is actually countercultural. This is not just counter, it's actually offensive almost, what she's doing. You see, in Jewish society, there were very specific spaces where women stayed and where men stayed. When it came to the temple, the women stayed in the outer courts, the men went to the inner courts. If you go to the Wailing Wall today, the women get a little, little space like this and the men get this huge space because they've approximated that's what the outer courts look like. They still do it today. There was this understanding that women had their space and the men had their space. 
what Mary's doing is invading the man space. This is where men were supposed to be. And this is where women, you're not supposed to be here, Mary. First of all, you don't get to sit at the feet of a rabbi. You're a woman. Go do your job. N.T. Wright puts it really cool. He says, for a woman to settle down comfortably among men was bordering on the scandalous. She had to break the norms and face the consequences of that just to follow Jesus. Think about that. For most of us in this room, we just need to be us because our society kind of lets us do what we want in some ways. We don't have to break any cultural taboos for most of us to follow Jesus. We, we can do as our please. If, I, if you're not happy with your man sitting on the couch, you can tell him so. You just don't have to feed him. He'll get up sooner or later. And guys, you know how much trouble you'll be in if you don't do anything? We have a freedom today. Mary didn't. And she had to basically break all cultural and social norms just to sit at the feet of Jesus. So the first thing, Mary was behaving as if she were a man. Secondly, she was behaving as a disciple should. Now I know, I'm Italian, you've got to have food on the table, right? I get that. I get stuff needs to be done, but there are times in which put the stuff away, you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Full stop. Just stop doing and just be. This is something we really, really, you go to a prayer meeting, it feels like everybody has to say something. Why can't we just be in silence before our Lord? You know, I mean, I, I know it, I feel the pressure of it. As the pastor, I'm like, oh, a pastor has to pray. No, pastor has to be. We have to be. Again, N.T. Wright says this, to sit at someone's feet meant simply to be their student. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus. You don't need a second brain for that. I've, I've been at many a bedside, seen any number of people pass, spoken with any number of people just as even before their passing. And I can tell you, we don't think of having a second brain in that moment or what apps I didn't get to make things happen. They're not the things that pass our mind when reality hits and my life is about to end. What I think of are the people we love or the regrets that we didn't spend enough time doing or being. And frankly, when you do stand before the Lord, 
He ain't going to count your bank account. He's not going to count how many little things you got from McDonald's to win on the Monopoly game. Those aren't going to be there. He's going to be looking into your heart and saying, how much time did you spend with me? In his book, or in their book, sorry, Scott McKnight and Laura Barringer, they, they, a church called Tov. Tov is the ancient Hebrew word for good. And they break down this word good. Because, you know, we use some other cool words like awesome. And awesomely awesome. And awesomely awesome, awesome, awesome. Right? But in the Hebrew Bible, it's just good. And good is enough. And he breaks, they break down the word good, how, what it means, what it truly means to be good. And in it, he ma- they make this comment. They say, the gospel invades our achievement-orientated meritocratic world. That is a world where success is measured by accomplishments and numbers. But the gospel says, no, no, no. It says success is not measured by numbers. It says pastors and churches have an entirely different agenda, namely helping others grow in Christ's likeness. This is powerful stuff. This is what we exist for right here and now, is to help each other grow in Christ's likeness. They go on. The pastor's calling and the church's calling are to nurture people into Christoformity. It's about joining a community of believers and being nurtured in the faith. Church is about soul work and confession of sin. And while reaching community is really important, while evangelizing is really important, while sharing a meal together is really important, our main goal is to work together to become more and more like Jesus. I love the word nurture. He breaks it down even more. He says nurture is a very violent term. We think of it as really cute. As parents, you nurture your children. Oh, how cute. But from a child's point of view, it's deeply distressing. We never think of nurture from a child's point of view. We always think of it from a parent's point of view. When you tell your child no, how do they react? When they start running across the street and out of panic, you go, stop! How do they react? When they can't have a candy bar, how do they react? When they won't go to sleep, how do they react? This is nurture. Nurture is a firm hand sometimes. We think of it as cute. Oh, the little kid's having a little fit. It's not cute for the kid. So while we want to nurture in love, nurture is also, can be, deeply distressing to us. We always look at it from the point of view of the parent, never the child. But church is about soul work and confession of sin. So the challenge that you have this morning, when you look at Mary and what she did, we, again, just think about, oh, you're too busy, this and that. Let's put busyness aside for a moment. I don't think it's a problem, personally, that you find ways to make your busyness better. That's cool. But your life is not about being busy. Your life is, becoming, is all about being more like Christ. 
And if those other things are taking the place of that, then maybe you need to revisit where your life is at. Church is the anchor for living in the hurricanes of demand. When done as a want to rather than a have to, it offers us a rhythm for our lives that bind us together to the living God. When someone asks me, what's church all about? That's what I say. It's the rope that when I wander off into the world, I can pull myself back home. When I get caught in the blizzard, I know where my anchor is. Amen? It's your challenge this week. I'll ask the music team to come up. That's my shortest sermon of this series, hey? <laughs> You're all bracing because you've got another 20, I've got another 20 more slides to go, no. My second brain's not working all that well. But I want to challenge you this week. Church, yes, we don't force you to be here. You don't have to be here. But when it's a want to, it's an anchor for you to stop everything else that's going on in your life, to find a place of safety, a, safe, a place of nurture, where you might walk away sometimes offended or chucking a little hissy fit, that's okay. It's called growth. And if I haven't offended you this morning, come and talk to me, I can do it personally. My goal is not to offend you. My goal is to challenge you because I want to see you grow. I want to see us all grow. I need the offense just as anyone else does. I want to see us grow in that word Christiformity, more like Jesus. More like Jesus.
bless you and keep you. Uh, may you be challenged by this morning's word. May you go home and think, how busy am I really? For those of you who are looking for prayer, please, there'll be a team down here. They'll pray over you. Allow yourself to be ministered to. Allow the Lord to speak through others to you. Bless you. May he keep you strong in his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.